Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. This past uh, Monday night, I had the great fortune of being on a UJA mission with 24 other rabbis to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And on Monday, we visited the community of Buenos Aires when they were celebrating Yom Ma'ut, Israel Independence Day. Their ambassador was away, and they put off the celebration until Monday when she was back, even though the official celebration was on Friday. Some celebrated before, some after. We expected at this celebration, as all rabbis do, to be a couple hundred people with some singing and songs and a lot of speeches. But we were pleasantly surprised when we arrived at a center with a tent put up with over 6,000 people, 6,000, all joining together, including hundreds upon hundreds of kids ranging in ages, singing and dancing Israeli songs and celebrating Israel's independence. For me, one of the most moving parts was towards the end of the ceremony when all different synagogues and community centers were represented and they all sang and many of them danced as is the culture in Argentina. And it came time for Hatikva, followed by the Argentinian national anthem. Now for the Argentinian national anthem, I didn't know a word, but obviously all the people surrounding us did and they sang loudly and they sang proudly. But when the time came for Hatikva, all the same people knew every word and they sang with spirit and with joy. As we headed toward the bus that night, after this incredible ceremony that lasted a little over two hours, I was overcome with a sense of jealousy. And I'm not often jealous. But the jealousy came from the notion that here in this town of Buenos Aires, where there's probably anywhere between 180 and 210,000 Jews, 6,000 of them came out to celebrate Israel's Independence Day. They didn't come out for any mourning practice. They didn't come out for some special dignitary. They came for a random birthday, not a special number, 67 years since the founding of the state of Israel. And I sat there wondering, what would it take in a community like ours that has almost the same amount of Jews to have 6,000 people come out for such a happy celebration? Over the course of the week, we made a few visits, two in particular, that solidified a little bit of the reason behind this incredible turnout. And I'd like to share two of them with you. The first was a visit we made the next day in the morning to a building called Amia. Now, you probably have heard of the Amia building, even if you don't know it by name. It was a building where about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, a suicide bomber packed 500 kilos worth of explosives into a van and sped that van down the street and directly into the building that is the center of the Jewish community, its federation system, its Hebrew free loan burial society, its welfare programs, its Jewish family services were all located in nine stories of this building. And the bomb, of course, detonated and leveled the entire building killed 85 people, some who worked there, some who were visiting to get needs taken care of, and of course, many bystanders who were just walking down the street. In addition to leveling the building in a similar style that Oklahoma City saw in the same amount of time, it really shook and reverberated the country because it was their first full-fledged interaction, maybe perhaps their second, with terrorism. 
We learned in that building on that day that people had come in in the morning to take care of the needs of burying their dead. Because in Argentina, all burial permits for Jewish cemeteries had to go through the AMIA building. People were taking care of needs of paying for summer camp for their loved one. People were taking care of needs of looking after their elderly parents. People were taking care of needs of providing food to the homebound. And as one of the survivors of the bombing told us who just happened to go to the bathroom towards the back of the building and miraculously survived and those in her office that she said, I'll see you in two minutes to, all perished. She said the needs of the community continued even in the wake of the bomb. People still needed food who were homebound. People still needed to bury their loved ones. People still needed to send their loved ones to summer camp. And the community still had its purpose. But it was reverberating. Just a few years before that bombing at Amia, there was another bombing. The same motive, perhaps the same funders of that bombing, was a Libyan bomber but funded by the Iranian sources that drove a car with the same amount of explosives into the Israeli embassy. There were only a handful of survivors, and one of the survivors happened to be our security guard who followed us for the entire trip, named Roberto. Roberto is a secular Jew. He speaks Hebrew fluently, but not observant. And as we visited synagogue after synagogue after synagogue, Roberto just stood outside and watched the people and made some chit-chat with all of us rabbis who were there and a little background in his broken English and my broken Spanish and our shared language of Hebrew. But when we went to the embassy, he put on a yarmulke in the place that was there, and he started to tear up. And one of the Argentinian men who were with us opened up a book commemorating the bombing of the embassy, and it showed him being pulled from the rubble. He was there as a security guard, and he survived. And after some gentle prodding, he told us the story of this terrible act and how it galvanized their community, how they became stronger as an Israeli community and in the face of terrorism. And that after each of these bombings, hundreds of thousands, not thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people came in unity to march in solidarity, not only for the atrocities that happened to the Jewish people, but for the atrocities that happened to the Argentinian people, regardless of their faith. And it was a moment when the community came together and what he explained to us is they stayed together. I share that with you because if you ask anyone in Argentina, you ask the people who were there, you ask Roberto, who survived the bombing at the embassy, or you ask Maria, who survived the bombing at the Amia building, they'll tell you the reason that 6,000 people come to the Yom Ha'atzmaut celebration is because they still feel the tremor of that pain. They still feel what it was to go to work on one day and to not come home or see their loved ones come home and the pain that it offered and how real it was and why it was that it brings them together. There's something powerful, potent, and painful about the notion of death that is a unifier. I've spoken before on many occasions about family members who don't talk to each other, who don't see each other, who have their family reunion standing over the casket of a parent or a loved one. Or families that sometimes are in disaccord, that get past whatever issues they're sharing or feeling when they know that someone is sick or in pain. We know 
that there are times in communities where when everything is hunky-dory and everything is fine, people find any opportunity to be fractured and apart. But when we are being oppressed or attacked, we come together. Quick examples for all of us. I was in Israel on numerous occasions when there was conflict and war. Most recently, most recently rather, was this last war this summer in Israel. And in a country that is divided politically and religiously, there was one country and one people under attack. Whether you were from the left or you were from the right, whether you were religious or you were secular, everyone in the country was unified. And think about it here, even in this community, a community that is notoriously fractured in the Jewish world, where the Orthodox don't talk to the non-Orthodox, where we literally have two boards of rabbis, one for the Orthodox Board of Rabbis here in Bergen County, and one Board of Rabbis for the non-Orthodox, Reformed, Conservative, and Reconstructionist and Unaffiliated, because they can't even sit down together to talk about anything we share. But when the war was happening this summer, there were 3,500 people gathering at the Bergen Pact to stand in solidarity, and 15,000 people standing in front of the United Nations as we stood as one. The parsha we read today is called Achare Mot, and it literally translates to the words after the death. And it refers to the death of Aaron's two children, Nadav and Avihu, who were mysteriously killed because they offered a strange fire to God. And it tells us Achare Mot after the death of these two children because the text implies that Aaron and Moses were changed people after the death of their children and nephews, respectively. They were different. They were not the same. And any of us who have encountered death with our inner circles know that it changes us and changes who we are. When my brother died almost 20 years ago, it changed me radically and it changed our family radically. We don't hold grudges in our family. We always talk every day, each of our family members, and we never end a conversation, regardless how quick or how long or whatever the topic is, without saying the words, I love you. And sometimes for no particular reason, we just type it out to one another because we knew after my brother's unexpected death that we couldn't live a day of our life without sharing those words and those sentiments. And while the circumstances of my father's death were quite different, it also affected the fabric of my soul, the way in which I was wired. The same, of course, for my mother, who was his wife for more than 53 years, and for my brothers, too, because death changes us. It changes who we are, and it changes the way in which we behave. We know that from the Parsha, because Aaron and Moshe are changed after the death of those two children. They change in their belief, they change in their actions, and they change in their character. I share this with you because of a story and an opportunity. The story is the inspiration of the community of Buenos Aires, Argentina, that was changed through these terrorist attacks and has galvanized them even 25 years after the date to be strong, to be cohesive, to be unified. They are one. They are a solid community. And they have reform streams and orthodox streams and conservative streams, and they fight over things that we fight about, whether it's day schools or whether it's kashrut or whether it's Shabbat observance. But they also have common denominators that they share. One is their identity as Jews, 
and one is their love for Israel, and the third is their love of the Hebrew language. And those things trump the differences that they share. So sometimes one might not eat at the restaurant of the other, but when there are moments to be together, that overcomes. That's an inspiration. Because what I worry about for us as a community, and I say this in the micro, and I say this in the macro, is that we do so well as a community when we are oppressed. We do so well as a community when people are wagging a finger in our face, when we are made to be the other and we are made to be different. We do really well when there are protesters at the corner of our street, and we do really well when they're lobbing bombs into innocent civilians in our homeland just for the faith that we keep and for the homeland that we call ours. But when things are calm and things are peaceful and the end of the number of a birthday for a country is random, we have to push hard to get 150 people to come together. And maybe, maybe a recognized speaker speaker brings another 100. And meanwhile, with no recognized speaker, 6,000 people are waiting in line to celebrate 67 years of Israel's independence. And I say this without joking, even though you might giggle, there wasn't any food to be given out either. (laughs) It was just a moment of celebration. We can learn a lot from that because we don't have to look very far. And if we do, we have a long list of moments where we were oppressed individually and collectively. As Jews in the diaspora, as Jews in Israel, as Jews even here in Bergen County, don't need to wait for another tragedy to make us all feel that we're amichad, that we're part of one people. We need to learn like they did in the cases after our own personal encounters with death and after they did in the Parsha of Achrimot to understand that death is a unifier and that no one ever comes back from the dead. And it must change the way in which we live for the better. To maximize opportunities, to seize moments, and to celebrate that which is our common denominators, because the divisions are too short-lived to be meaningful. On this Shabbat of Achrei Mot Kedoshim, may we realize the potency that our challenges and the loss of life can give us in appreciating each day. May it give us a spirit, may it give us a reason, and may it give us a purpose to come together and to find our shared values, our shared experiences, and our shared opportunities. May we do that with smiles on our faces and with hearts that overflow. Amen. Page 155, please rise for the Chatzit.